Hi, lovely listeners and readers. Coming at you with another chapter very shortly after the last one. I know, surprise, surprise. <laughs> we are going to be moving into part two of A Lost Lady by Willa Cather. Part two, chapter one. Let's get reading. before Neil Herbert came home again, and when he came, the first acquaintance he met was Ivy Peters. Ivy got on the train at one of the little stations east of Sweetwater, where he had been trying a case. As he strolled through the Pullman, he noticed among the passengers a young man in a gray flannel suit with a silk shirt of one shade of blue and a necktie of another. After regarding this urban figure from the rear for a few seconds, Ivy glanced down at his own clothes with gloating satisfaction. It was a hot day in June, but he wore the black felt hat and ready-made coat of winter weight he had always affected as a boy. He stepped forward, his hands thrust in his pockets. Hello, Neil. Thought I couldn't be mistaken. Neil looked up and saw the red, bee-stung face, with its two permanent dimples, smiling down at him in contemptuous jocularity. Hello, Ivy. I couldn't be mistaken in you, either. Coming home to go into business? Neil replied that he was coming only for the summer vacation. Oh, you're not through school yet. I suppose it takes longer to make an architect than it does to make a shyster. Just as well. There's not much building going on in Sweetwater these days. You'll find a good many changes. Won't you sit down? Neil indicated the neighboring chair. You are practicing law? Yes, along with a few other things. Have to keep more than one iron in the fire to make a living with us. I farm a little on the side. I rent that meadowland on the Forester Place. I've drained the old marsh and put it into wheat. My brother John does the work, and I boss the job. It's quite profitable. I pay them a good rent, and they need it. I doubt if they could get along without it. Their influential friends don't seem to help them out much. Remember all those chesty old boys the captain used to drive about in his Democrat wagon and ship in barrels of bourbon for? Good deal of bluff about all those old-timers. The panic put them out of the game. The foresters have come down in the world like the rest. You remember how the old man used to put it over us kids, not let us carry a gun in there? I'm just mean enough. I like to shoot along that creek a little better than anywhere else now. There wasn't any harm in the old captain, but he had the delusion of grandeur. He's happier now that he's like the rest of us and don't have to change his shirt every day. Ivy's unblinking, greenish eyes rested upon Neil's haberdashery. 
Neil, however, did not notice this. He knew that Ivy wanted him to show disappointment, and he was determined not to do so. He inquired about the captain's health, pointedly keeping Mrs. Forrester's name out of the conversation. He's only about half there. Seems contented enough. She takes good care of him, I'll say that for her. She seeks consolation, always did, you know. Too much French brandy. But she never neglects him. I don't blame her. Real work comes hard on her. Neil heard these remarks, dully, through the buzz of an idea. He felt that Ivy had drained the marsh quite as much to spite him and Mrs. Forrester as to reclaim the land. Moreover, he seemed to know that, until this moment, Ivy himself had not realized how much that consideration weighed with him. He and Ivy had disliked each other from childhood, blindly, instinctively, recognizing each other through antipathy, as hostile insects do. By draining the marsh, Ivy had obliterated a few acres of something he hated, though he could not name it, and had asserted his power over the people who had loved those unproductive meadows for their idleness and silvery beauty. After Ivy had gone on into the smoker, Neil sat looking out of the window at the sweet water and playing with his idea. The Old West had been settled by dreamers, great-hearted adventurers who were unpractical to the point of magnificence, a courteous brotherhood, strong in attack but weak in defense, who could conquer but could not hold. Now all the vast territory they had won was to be at the mercy of men like Ivy Peters, who had never dared anything, never risked anything. They would drink up the mirage, dispel the morning freshness, root out the great brooding spirit of freedom, the generous, easy life of the great landholders. The space, the color, the princely carelessness of the pioneer they would destroy and cut up into profitable bits as the match factory splinters the primeval forest. All the way from the Missouri to the mountains, this generation of shrewd young men, trained to petty economies by hard times, would do exactly what Ivy Peters had done when he drained the Forester Marsh.